But if you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 2. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth gospel, John chapter 2. At my age, there are a few things, only a few things, that are vividly remembered by me. But one of those things that I vividly remember is my wedding that took place almost 40 years ago. Now, compared to weddings today, it was nothing elaborate, it was nothing exquisite, but for Sherry and me, it was our moment, it was our day, it was our time. I remember walking out with my dad. I remember anxiously awaiting the doors of the foyer to open so that I could catch a glimpse of my bride for the very first time. I remember her walking down the aisle. I remember what seemed like a never-ending list of songs. We must have had six songs that were sung at our wedding that day. I remember our vows. I remember kissing my new bride for the very first time. I remember walking down that aisle as husband and wife. I remember our reception at the Sunoka Club. And I remember all of the ladies in our church who got together and made all of this feast of food for that reception. Now, back in that day, Baptists didn't dance, especially at wedding receptions. So we didn't do any dancing but we did do a lot of eating and we did do a lot of talking. I, I remember cutting the cake. And I remember taking a piece of that cake and kind of smearing some on my wife's face. I remember taking that garter off of her leg and then throwing it out to her bridesmaids. And I can remember being so ready to leave that reception. I wanted to get going on our honeymoon. But it seemed like the reception lasts forever and ever and ever. Now, those hours celebrating with family and friends were nothing like they were in Jesus' day. You see, weddings were a big deal, and they weren't just a family affair. They weren't just for our close friends. They were community events. They were parties that the entire town were involved in. The wedding began around sundown at the synagogue, and that's where the ceremony took place. But after the ceremony, the couple would leave the synagogue, and they would march down the streets of the town. The streets would be lit by torches so that everyone could see them, so that everyone could wish them well, so that everyone could see the bride in all of her beauty. Then they would finally make it to the home that the groom had prepared for his bride. And that's where the celebration would begin. And those celebrations would last for days. Sometimes they would last for over a week. There would be speeches, there would be lots of food, and there would be lots 
of wine. Now let me make it clear that drunkenness was not a part of these wedding celebrations in spite of all of the wine. Drunkenness was seen as a disgrace. It was a sin in the Jewish community. Now some of you may be thinking right now, so what does the Bible say about drinking in our day and age? And that's not for today. That's not what this story is about. This story is is about something else that Jesus did. You see, wedding wine in Jesus' day was much like wedding cake today. Now, I've been to a lot of weddings. I've been to a lot of receptions. I've been to to receptions where they had exquisite dining. I've been to receptions where they had finger food. I've been to receptions where they had hamburgers and hot dogs and barbecue and everything else in between. But I've never been to a wedding or reception where they didn't have cake. Cake is a staple item. Can you imagine going to a wedding and not having cake? My wife would say, take me home. I love this couple. I'm happy for them. But if they don't have cake, I don't want to be here. My wife loves wedding cake. Cake is central to our weddings, and wine was like that in Jesus' day. Now, partly because of what it symbolized. Wine symbolized joy, and wine symbolized God's blessings. The Jewish rabbis had a saying, without wine, there is no joy. Let me say that again. Without wine, there is no joy. Psalms 104, verses 14 and 15 says, you, God, cause the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for people to use. You allow them to produce food from the earth, wine to make them glad, olive oil to soothe their skin, and bread to give them strength. In Proverbs 3, 9, and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with your first fruits, with your wealth. And then God says, I will cause your barns to overflow, and your vats will spill over with good wine. You see, wine was what is an expression of of God's blessing upon your life. So imagine a wedding without wine. Imagine a wedding where the wine ran out. That's what happened in the story we're going to look at today. So if your Bible is open, let's begin reading in verse 1. It says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Canaan in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out, take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, although, of course, the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you, you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Canaan, Galilee, was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. 
and his disciples believed in him. Now, I want you to notice again what it says in verse 11. This miraculous sign at Cana was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. The New International Version says this was the first of his miraculous signs. The King James says this was the beginning of miracles. According to Scripture, this is the very first miracle Jesus ever performed. Now, there's an old saying that goes like this. You never have a second chance to make a good first impression. Have you ever heard that? You never have a second chance to make a good first impression. First impressions are important. In our minds, first impressions set us up for success. They help us get on the road to accomplishing our goals. But the very first miracle that Jesus performed was not walking on water. It was not raising the dead back to life. It was not feeding thousands with a few loaves of bread and a few fish. It was not healing the sick or casting out demons. It was nothing like that. It was turning water into wine. Now, unless you're a wino, that's not that big of a deal. But that was the very first miracle Jesus performed. And the reality is hardly anyone knew that Jesus performed this miracle. Now, if it had been me, I would have done something eye-catching. I would have done something profound. And I would have done it in a public manner so that everyone would have seen me, but not Jesus. Jesus simply turned water into wine. And no one but the servants, his disciples, and his mother Mary knew what he did. Now, in John's gospel, there are only seven miracles recorded. Only seven. This one, turning the water into wine. Jesus healing the nobleman's son. Jesus healing the man who was lame at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus walking on water. Jesus feeding the 5,000. Jesus healing the man born blind. And, and Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. That's all the miracles that he did in the Gospel of John. And he started out with this one. Turning the water to wine. Now, in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. You see, John, led by the Holy Spirit, specifically chose seven miracles to reveal Jesus' glory. And these miracles were for the purpose of revealing that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God. And verse 11 tells us that because of this miracle, turning the water to wine, the disciples believed in him. And yet, only a handful of people even knew that he did this miracle. Now, I think before we go any further, we need to answer the question, what is a miracle? There was a, a children's Bible teacher who one day asked her, her small class, what was a miracle? And a little girl raised her hand, and, and the teacher said, okay, what's a miracle? And the girl said, a miracle is something we can't do, but Jesus can. It's a good answer, isn't it? A miracle is something we can't do, but Jesus can. Here's my definition. A miracle is when God steps out of the realm of what is humanly possible and scientifically feasible to do what only he can. So a miracle is when God steps out of the realm of what is humanly possible or scientifically feasible to do only what he can. But you need to understand, whenever Jesus did a miracle, especially in the book of John, the gospel of John, he did it for one reason, one purpose, 
And that was to reveal who he was and what he came to do. He performed miracles to show his divine nature, to show his power, to show his purpose for coming to earth. And so let's unpack this story of this first miracle to see what we can learn. So here's Jesus and his disciples, and they're invited to this wedding celebration in a small village by the name of Cana of Galilee. Now, Cana was several miles away from Nazareth. Nazareth was the town that Jesus grew up in. So it is a very good chance that the couple getting married were lifelong family friends of Jesus and his family. Now, because Mary was the first to know that they had run out of wine, more than likely she was not just an invited guest. More than likely, Mary was there helping this family coordinate the wedding. She was trying to make sure everything went smoothly because she was a good friend, perhaps, of the mother of the groom that was getting married. And so after a while, as they were going on in the festivities, before it was ready for it to be over, they ran out of wine. Now, to understand, this would have not simply have been a premature end to the celebration. This would have been more than simply an embarrassment because the wine symbolized joy, because the wine symbolized God's blessing. This was a terrible omen on this young couple who had just gotten married. For them to run out of wine was to say that the joy was going to get out of their marriage. For them to run out of wine was saying that God's blessings were not going to be upon them. But what I want you to see this morning is that the wine of this world will always run out. Whatever it is, the wine of this world is going to always run out. Did you hear that? Are you tracking with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? The wine of this world will always run out. The things that we seek after to bring us joy and happiness and peace and fulfillment are going to always run out. So what is it in your life that you're running after to try to find joy? For some of us, it's relationships, a husband or a wife or children or, or friends or parents. And we believe that those relationships are vital to our joy. But what you need to understand is that the very best of relationships are only temporary. Most of us have experienced that. We have friendships that we believe will never end, and then something has happened, something is said, and the friendship is severed. We have a marriage that we think is a forever marriage, but then all of a sudden something happens, and it's not a forever marriage. And it may not even be something bad has happened. This, this August the 6th, Sherry and I will have been married 40 years. And yesterday when we were in the car together, I just turned to her and said, I love doing life with you. And I do. I love doing life with you. My wife is my best friend. But here's what I know. If Jesus tarries, one of us is most likely going to leave the other behind. It's going to happen. It's inevitable unless we die together. So I want you to hear me. If my joy is tied up in my wife, then when she's gone, my joy will be gone. 
If her joy is tied up in me, then when I'm gone, her joy is going to be gone. If your joy is tied up in a child or a parent, then when they're gone, your joy is going to be gone because relationships are temporary at the very best. And if you're trying to find joy through a relationship, it's going to leave you hanging. For others of us, we're trying to find that joy and success. Sitting in the boss's chair, running the business, being looked up to. But what you need to understand is success is fleeting. If you don't believe me, go and talk to hundreds and thousands of CEOs, presidents of corporations, head football coaches who have been fired. And they'll tell you success comes and goes. For others, it's money. We believe that if we have enough money, then we can find joy. But what you're going to discover, if you think that money is the secret to finding joy in life, you're going to discover that you're never going to have enough money. You're going to get to a certain amount that you thought was going to bring you joy, and it's not. And you're going to get to another amount that you thought was going to bring you joy, and it's not. Because Solomon, the the richest man who ever lived, said, if you love money, you'll never have enough of it. And then for others of us, it's, it's pleasure, especially the younger we are. We have this idea that joy is found in pleasure, having a good time, however we might define that good time. But the Bible makes it clear that pleasure is going to leave us empty. And so the wine ran out. It always does. So notice what Mary, Jesus' mother, did. She ran to Jesus. May I ask you a question? Who is it or what is it that you run to when the wine of this world runs out? I'm here to tell you it needs to be Jesus. Jesus, the Bible says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and you're burdened down, and I will give you rest. So when the wine of this world runs out, don't run back to the world. Run to Jesus. So Mary ran to Jesus, said the wine has run out. But notice what Jesus said. He said, that's not our problem. What? I I mean, Jesus who cares for people? It's not our problem. That doesn't sound like Jesus. Was he brushing her off? Was he unconcerned about this family's problem and it was a big problem? No, he was concerned. But what you need to understand is as Jesus was sitting there enjoying that wedding feast, his mind was focused on something else, something yet to come. His mind was not on that wedding and that party. He was looking into the future to his wedding and his party. I want you to notice what he said. Woman, that's not our problem. And then he said, my time, my hour has not yet come. That passage, that that phrase is used over and over in John's gospel. My hour has not yet come. John chapter 7, Jesus' family member, his brothers were going to the festival of tabernacles, the festival of shelters, and they wanted him to go. And this is what Jesus said. He go on 
I'm not going to this festival because my time, my hour, has not yet come. In chapter 7, verse 30, it says, Then the leaders tried to arrest Jesus, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. In chapter 8, verse 20, it says, Jesus made these statements while he was teaching in the section of the temple known as the treasury, but he was not arrested because his hour had not yet come. But then everything changes in chapter 12. In chapter 12, it says that Jesus replied, Now the hour has come for the Son of Man to enter his glory. In chapter 13, verse 1, it says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world. Chapter 17, verse 1, it says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that he can give glory back to you. You see, this marriage was taking Jesus' mind to his own marriage. The marriage where he would be the groom and we, his people, would be the bride. The Bible makes it clear that, that marriage is a picture of Christ and his church. In the Old Testament, God shows himself as the groom who is ready to take his bride, his people, to himself. When Jesus was confronted by the religious leaders because his, his, his disciples were not fasting, Jesus said this. He said, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. When John the Baptist was asked about Jesus, John the Baptist said this. He said, it is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the best man is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. You see, when Jesus was at this wedding in Cana, he was thinking about his wedding to his bride, the church. He was thinking how he loved us and how he wanted to protect us and provide for us and care for us. And he was thinking about how much he wanted his bride, the church, to adore him and submit to him like a wife is to submit to her husband. So he was thinking about his wedding. And I think he was thinking about the party that was to come after the wedding. The wedding feast of the Lamb that never ends where the food will never be depleted and the wine will continue to flow forever and ever. And I think that he was thinking about the dowry, the price that he would have to pay for his bride. You see, back in biblical days, a groom would have to pay for the bride. You remember the story of Jacob and Rachel? How Jacob had to work seven years to get the woman he loved, Rachel, and then he was tricked by Laban, Rachel's husband, and he was given another woman, Rachel's sister, and so he had to work another seven years. He had to work 14 years to get the woman of his dreams. Well, you see, for Jesus to be married to us, the price he paid was his life. He gave his blood. And so as Jesus was sitting there at this wedding, he was thinking into the future when his hour would come and he would shed his blood on the cross so that you and I could become his bride and become one with him. And we could enjoy the festivities, the celebrations forever and ever and ever.
Notice what Mary says to the servant. Mary doesn't let what Jesus says stop her, deter her. She says, do whatever he tells you to do. Now, can I tell you that's what faith is? Faith isn't having everything figured out. Faith is not some feeling that we have or some experience that we have. Faith is doing what Jesus tells us to do. Jesus tells us to trust him. We do it. Jesus tells us to obey him. We do it. Faith is doing what Jesus tells us to do. That's what faith always is. So here's the truth. When the wine runs out, run to Jesus. He's the only one who can fill your soul. He is the only one who can give you what you're looking for. In the Old Testament book of Psalms, it says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now listen, that's not saying if you delight in the Lord, then he's going to give you all of these other things. That's not what the verse is saying. It's been been so misrepresented. What that is saying is if you delight in the Lord, you will find delight. Do you hear me? The problem is too many of us are delighting in the things of this world. And these things of the world will never give us the delight we're looking for. Only the Lord can give that. Jonathan Edwards said, The enjoyment of God is the only happiness which can satisfy our souls. Augustine of Hippo said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. Nothing can fill our souls like Jesus. So when the wine runs out, run to Jesus. Nearby, there were six stone water jars, each held between 20 and 30 gallons of water. And Jesus told the disciples to fill them up with water. Now remember, they didn't have faucets back then. They couldn't just turn the water on. So what that means is they would have to take the pitcher to the well. They would have to fill up the pitcher and then bring it to the pot and fill it up. 180 or so gallons. A gallon of water weighs over 8 pounds. That was a lot of work. But they filled those water pots to the rim. And and then Jesus told them, take a cup to the master of ceremonies. This was the one who would emcee the celebration. And when they presented this water that had now been turned to wine, this is what the MC, the master of ceremonies, said to the groom. He said, a host always serves his best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. And here's what you need to know. The wine Jesus gives is always the best. The world is never going to give you what you're looking for. Mark it down. Put it in the margin of your Bible. This world is not going to give you what you're looking for. What the world gives is going to pale in comparison to what Jesus gives. He's the one who created you. He's the one who made you. He knows what can fulfill you. So you need to run to Jesus. I want to ask you a question this morning. What are you looking to to bring joy to your life? Only Jesus can bring it. That's why this very first miracle is turning the water into wine. Here was a young couple who was about to start their wedding without joy. A social embarrassment to the entire town. 
And Jesus turned it around and gave them the very best. That's what he always does. There are some of you here today who are wasting your life. You're trying to find joy and happiness and peace and fulfillment in this world, and it's going to always leave you empty. And I would beg you right here, right now, don't wait another minute. Turn to Jesus. He can satisfy your desires like no one else can. I want you to bow your head. In just a moment, we're going to have our altar time, and our altar is going to be open. And, and you can come to the altar, and you can pray. You can, you can pray for, for things going on in your life. You can pray that, that God will touch the heart of people that you know and love who are far from God. Maybe, maybe you need physical healing, and you can pray that Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, comes down and touches your body and heals you. You may need a relationship to be restored, and I'm here to tell you, God can do what man can't do. You may need a financial blessing, and I'm here to tell you that if you're willing to walk in obedience to God's word, God can meet that financial blessing. So whatever your need is, I'm telling you that if you come to this altar and meet God, God can meet that need. But there's no greater need here today than to give your heart and life to Jesus. And so if you're here and you've never turned from sin, trusting Jesus alone to take your sins away, surrendering your life to his complete control from this moment on, then today, I want to beg you, I want to plead with you. When we all stand in just a minute and people begin to come to this altar to pray, I want to invite you to come and take myself, Pastor Scott, Pastor Matt by the hand and say, I need Jesus. What's my next step? Don't stand there. Don't sit there. Don't wait. Find Jesus. And you'll find what you've been looking for. You'll find what you were created for. Father, this is your time. And I believe with all my heart, you're calling people to yourself. I pray, Father, that you'll have your way. The enemy will be defeated in people's lives today. And I pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen. Let's stand together.